and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons & Dragons and discuss how we might use it in our role-playing campaigns. Sorry, I read the thing, I said use instead of include, and it completely threw me off. Well, <laughs> you know, when we, talk, like we, yeah, we talked about like, oh, how do we open these things? And I'm like, yes, I, I use my thing, and then it all goes to pot, and then you're just like, I have just improv. I'm like, damn it, why don't I just do improv? Anyway, hello, my name is Fiona, and with me, as always, is the wonderful, wonderful, my favourite co-host out of all the co-hosts, obviously, I have to say that, is Ryan. Hello, Ryan, how are hello. you? Hello. I'm very good, and I'm also legally contracted to say that. I'm all good, thank you. Nothing ever happens bad in my life. It's all fantastic. Yes, no, genuinely, I am wow. good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you. I am, um, yeah, I've just been very busy. I've been editing stuff. Um, I discovered that the reason why I don't use Discord to record stuff is because there's a bot on Discord called Craigbot, and it decides sometimes it just doesn't want to record and leave the recording halfway through. And oh, I'm, like, no. I'm like, no, thanks, Craig. What it does, I, again, I don't know, I know you might not know it, but when you ask Craig to join a voice chat, it, mm. it joins in and it loudly announces itself going, now recording. And you're like, fucking hell, Craig. All right, fine. <laughs> so every time I've used it, you always hear me go, thanks, Craig, as soon as he joins. And then when he leaves, <laughs> you hear me go, Thank fuck he's gone. So anyway, that's my life of recording on Discord. <laughs> I love that. No, you've created a meta with a bot on Discord. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, well, oh, one one is... day I will introduce him to you and you'll go, ah, oh, yes, Craig. This is <laughs> the horrific future that we have to look forward to with when Alexa gains sentience and is in our life forever. You know, you get those Amazon things. Oh, my in-laws have one of them in mm. their house and it is the creepiest thing because when you talk to it, you have to go, Alexa, and it goes and, and listens and you can tell it's listening to you because if it's playing the radio or music it'll stop it mm-hmm. and pause just so it can listen to you and you think oh my god it's it's always listening because you'll be saying something random mm-hmm. and it'll think you've said alexa so you'll just be talking like this and this and you just hear a like oh no no i'm not talking to you hang on are you listening to me stop listening to me this is really I can see that. And like Craig that. is there as well. well. I like that idea though. It's like, you know, when in, in, you're in a Zoom call and you're, you're just chatting and someone, someone arrives, you go, oh, hi. It's, it's that sort of element. But it's so funny. <laughs> my, my sister does have an Alexa, but she also has smart lights. So she can say, oh, Alexa, can you turn up the lights? So we've started doing our own family calls. Unfortunately, she's not been in the same room, but when she did it, I was like, every time I'm going, Alexa, blackout. And Alexa's like, no, <laughs> and the lights go out. <laughs> oh. Alexa, end humanity. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> or, uh, my my fiance has got a Google home. So you have to go, hey, oh, Google. No. And what's great about that is that uh, Jacob uses the voice for cat facts. But now I started, because <laughs> now it can hear me when we're on voice calls. I'll be like, hey, Google, make the noise of a giraffe or something like that and the cat is like freaks the hell out it's like what what the what is in this room i don't know it's oh i love it oh Oh, i just i mean i see the hilarity in it but i just would struggle to have one around oh i I don't want one (laughs) because otherwise they'll start doing it to me (laughs) oh no yeah oh could you imagine if oh if ever i was streaming or anything and people realized i had one oh no that's they had that with was it the xbox connect as well like you would say xbox or something like that and you'd be doing it and you say xbox and then it goes okay shutting down you're like no 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 i'm playing i'm playing there was a an advert that did that wasn't it amazon Mm -hmm. put this into your delivery and if an xbox heard it it would go okay and it started ordering (laughs) like sellotape for you or something very random amazing yeah i turned siri off my phone because it kept interrupting me whilst i was you know i was doing something i'd say something it goes what was that and i'm like you're not a part of this conversation siri (laughs) go away you're not here go away 
all that aside, with all AI assistants out the way and that are taking over the world, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, what, what are we talking about today? What is our topic of choice? So I am taking us down a DM's route once again, where we're going to be playing around with some of the ideas of D&D generally and campaign building in order to give a little bit of flexibility on creating your own spells and magical items. Mm -hmm. So we're diving right back to the Dungeon Master's Guide on this one. We can't go Tasha's too much. If I pick a Tasha's thing, then what will Fee have to talk about? You know, we've got to to respect each other's turf. (laughs) So back to the DM's Guide for me. And this is good because this sort of ties in quite nicely to when we created our custom monster episodes. Mm. And I think this is interesting because I think a lot of times when you're thinking of DMs, oh, you need special monsters and stuff. I think treasure and stuff sort of comes later as well as spells. So actually... This feels like more of an advanced level on top of those things, but actually it seems relatively straightforward. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing mm. how this goes. It's one of those topics that is as simple or complicated as you make it. And like many things in D&D, there are different ways that you approach this. We've spoken before about creating your own monsters. That's a great example of where you have different options as to how you travel about this topic generally you can either reskin something you can create exactly from new or somewhere between and creating spells and creating magic items has exactly the same premise and we've seen a lot of flexibility being introduced under tasha's with spells with feats we've spoken about a lot of the new things where tasha's gone yeah but focus more on the end product and then we'll kind of smooth around the edges to try and get to that place but weirdly enough these rules have been in the DM's book for some time with spells and with magical items, but they were so flexible and so vague, people didn't really give them much thought because, I mean, for something that requires, I would say, 75 to 80% of the brain capacity of the average spellcasting player, which is how do spells work and how do magic items work, it only is three pages in the book. It's Mm. pages 283, 284, and half of 285. And of these pages, half of two of them is a picture. So really, the the information given to you is quite vague. So what we're going to be doing is sort of looking at how the rules were initially applied and how we go about them. And then maybe we can sort of have a think about how Tash has changed a couple of the bits and pieces just offhand. And, And actually, we can basically prove that all they're doing is basically just solidifying the rules that we're here all along. I agree. And when, when I read this, I was like, oh, it's so small. Certainly the spells one is so, so small. And you think, well, why hasn't more people done uh, like customization of their spells, even if it's just to, I don't know, change the name of it so that it's more personal to the players? I, I think I've only heard of one example where someone has actually introduced a new spell a new spell she says the quotation marks in critical role where uh caleb who is a sort of fire wizard changed they just changed the flavor and stuff of that everyone also always uses the default things because i guess people think oh well if there's so many of them of course we've got mm. to use them but actually it's fairly straightforward shall we dive straight in then shall we look at spells i think we should mm. so Creating a new spell. Everybody's got the idea that you want to create a spell at some point, and there's different reasons why you might want to. Either you have the flavor of a character in mind, there's a particular anime or show that you base your character on, and in that show they do something that you think, oh, that would be a really cool skill to have. I really like the flavor of that. And when you look through the spell book, nothing really tickles your fancy on that one. 
there may be other thematic reasons. Maybe your player doesn't like fire and all of the spells that do damage for your particular class are all fire-based, or at least certainly predominantly fire-based. So you think, okay, how do we get around this? Or maybe you have the mind of a savant and you've got this brilliant idea for a spell that you think would be really fun and it doesn't exist. So you're thinking about how to balance it. As the DM, one of the biggest reasons you might want to put this in is maybe the particular flavor of evil or baddie that you've got in your campaign, or maybe even a cult organization or guild has a particular style of destruction, death, or damage that is very unique to a particular group organization. Maybe your group only ever used the conjuration of blades and knives in their spells and don't use any sort of elemental damage per se. So you want an ability to be able to manipulate the spells a little bit to focus in on that sort of category. Well, creating a spell is quite simple if you approach it in certain directions. And there's a couple of rules we need to keep an eye on when we talk about this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Firstly, all spellcasters are not equal. That is something you need to remember. There are distinct spell cast lists for all of the different classes that you can play as, even though full casters, so casters that can get right up to ninth level, are varied. You've got bards, clerics, druids, wizards, sorcerers, amongst others. They all have different spell lists, and they have different spell lists for a very big reason. There are different niches that each class has provided, and you need to make sure that you're not really crossing over those niches too much in the interests of balance. The biggest example the book gives you is that of healing spells. Mm-hmm. Clerics and druids, for instance, have access to pretty much the full roster of healing spells throughout. Wizards, for instance, very particularly, do not have access to any healing spell that I'm aware of. They are totally heal three. And that is very distinctly deliberate because the game doesn't want a wizard to be able to cast cure wounds because if they could, well, at the end of the day, it's going to become problematic because you're not only stepping on the shoes of the clerics and the druids and the bards in the group, but you're also affecting the sort of balance of the game. Wizards are specifically given a spell list that is full damage, full versatility, but they don't get any healing because of that. Mm-hmm. Equally, clerics and druids are a good example of classes that have full access to healing spells and a lot of manipulation spells and sort of working spells. But the damage spells they do are not full whack. Mm. Fireball, for instance, very famously does exactly the same damage as Flame Strike. And this is a good example of a Fireball being a third level spell that does 86 damage and Flame Strike doing 86 damage, but it's a fifth level spell. The only difference is one is a wizard spell and one is a cleric spell. Mm-hmm. So you've got to keep these things in mind. The game hasn't made all spell casting equal for a very good reason. And if you've got an idea for a spell, even if you make the spell from scratch, keep an eye other spells that do maybe similar things in the spell list of the class that you're inventing the spell for. And make sure it doesn't stand out as being too good, too bad, or too weird. Um, There's a fantastic phrase here that says, if the spell is so good that the caster would want to use it all of the time, it may be too powerful for its level. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really good point. And then the other one, which was the other suggestion, it says, avoid spells which have very limited use as few characters would bother to learn or prepare them unless they're knowing about them in advance would be so worthwhile doing. So it gives the example of like only having certain spells that are are effective against good dragons. 
what is quite nice about it, it says like, we're sure there are spells like that, but they are so, so niche. Like, why would you ever need to know them? So I think mm. I like that idea as like a plot point or a plot hook that you just have books full of useless spells or, oh, this is really good. And it's, again, it's not necessarily a comment on uh, stuff, but you see quite a lot of stuff on DM skills of where people have done lots of like creating their own spells or creating their own equipment, but they are so, so niche. You're like, this is really cool. But it's what's the wider use of it? What's the thing? Yeah. That, like, I, I love people who make those creations. Like you see them all the time when you see like uh, Terry from Brooklyn Nine Nine has been put as a character into Fifth Edition. You're like, that's Absolutely. really cool. When am I going to use that? You know, that, so <laughs> it, it, like it's cool. But I'm not going to pluck it in. So I, I thought that was a really cool thing, just to be like avoid those spells that are very so niche that only maybe once in every other campaign would they come around. So I thought that's really cool. Yeah, exactly. The caveat I would say is if you do want to make a spell like that, then think about it less from a you're throwing a spell into the average player's repertoire and it's more of a plot point you know if you do have the brass dragon and there's a particular spell that is the brass dragon fireball killer mm. then maybe that's something that requires an entire arc of the, of the story for your players to specifically go and find the mad wizard who is obsessed with the destruction of brass dragons it doesn't necessarily need to be a thing that you add to the average person's class list it's it maybe something a little bit more vague Okay, we've got the idea of a spell. How do we go about doing that now? Well, mm -hmm. the first thing I will say is healing spells are tricky to do. <laughs> I wouldn't attempt to make a healing spell from scratch. Mm -hmm. And there's very good reason for that. Healing is in D&D &D specifically engineered to be harder to do than damage, especially at lower levels. Cantrips, for instance, do not heal. Mm. The most that a cantrip does is stabilize a dying person. Yeah, spare the dying is the staple of a cleric, for instance, but it doesn't give healing. And the reason that cantrips don't give healing is because they can be cast without limit. And if you can cast a healing spell without limit, then you could heal a player to full health in all situations given enough time. Even if your cantrip just heals one hit point, you may think, oh, it's just one hit point, that's fine. No, it actually gives you the opportunity to sit there, spend, I don't know how other, like 300 rounds, whatever it would be, and just cast the cantrip over and over and over and over and over to get your barbarian back to full health. Mm -hmm. So be a little bit careful. Well, actually don't, just don't put healing on cantrips. What's interesting about this, because I hadn't really considered about like healing and stuff, the way I sort of flavor it is that um, when you're healing someone, it takes so much of your energy. If you think about any doctor or nurse working just now, they're not just going in and just like tapping people. They are working around the clock to make sure they are stabilized and stuff. And it's actually very draining for them to look after these people who then don't necessarily make it. So that's how I would see this. It's like, yeah, cantrips are something that's very small, a little bit of your energy to do. So a little, a little magic trick or a little, you know, it is something small, whereas actually healing someone it takes time and a lot of the caster's energy so yeah that's how i definitely see with healing spells it's not a one-off thing it is something that they have to properly concentrate on and yeah. spend that energy so yeah exactly if you are going to make a healing spell the one thing i would keep in mind is find a healing spell that is a similar like a cure mass wounds or a prayer of healing or whatever it might be and take a look specifically at the casting time because most healing spells that affect multiple targets or do a lot of healing and we'll, we'll come into this in a little bit because it, it mentions that healing spells do the same healing as the spell damage equivalent would be of that level mm -hmm. well that's only true in some healing spells that have a large cast time so circle of healing for instance or prayer of healing 
is the example of a, of a spell that actually does heal for the same damage that a spell of that level would do damage for. Mm. But it also has a 10-minute cast time, very specifically because they don't want you to be able to do that sort of healing off the cuff in the middle of combat. It's supposed to be something that you keep to reserve. But if we ignore healing for a second, we're going to assume that your spell does damage mm -hmm. because nine times out of 10, people make spells to do damage. For whatever reason, that just seems to be the reason that people make them. Mm -hmm. The book is quite simple. It has given you a spell damage table. It has a list of cantrip to ninth level. It has the recommended damage that if your spell does one target damage or multiple target damages. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you're casting a fifth level spell, it recommends that your spell does 8d10 damage if it hits one target and 8d6 damage if it hits multiple. Mm -hmm. The caveat to that is that it assumes that all spells that you are making have a chance to succeed on a saving throw mm -hmm. that means that it does half damage if the creature passes so that might be a deck save it may be a constitution save a wisdom save whatever it may be mm -hmm. but fireball is a good example of that it does 8d6 damage but if you pass a deck save you do half of that damage mm -hmm. if you want to make your spell either all or nothing that's fine it assumes that if you have to attack it's a spell hit so you roll to, to hit like a chromatic orb or something along those lines. Um, I'm trying to think a guiding bolt is a good example of that bolt, as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. In that particular instance, you can increase the damage your spell does by 25%, but if it misses, it does nothing. Mm. The other alternative to that is a spell that does no damage if the creature passes the saving throw. I think that Toll the Dead is a good example of that, that does a lot of damage, but it also does nothing if the creature passes the saving throw. So with that in mind, you then have to think, okay, well, do I want to create a damage from scratch, or a spell from scratch, or can I modify a spell from an existing spell? Mm. Because modifying is much easier to do. You can tweak that and you can sort of push things around in any one direction. If you think about sort of what a spell does, why are you trying to make a spell? Often it's because people don't like the damage element type that a spell does, and that can easily be fixed. I remember on Reddit ages and ages ago, there was a like come up with a funny magic item that would be really fun to use in a campaign that maybe wasn't necessarily game break or maybe it was. Mm. And somebody had a ring of misspelling as a legendary item. Yes. I don't remember if you, I might have mentioned this before, but no, the idea no. was if you change one letter of any spell, the spell still does that, but then contextualized to whatever you've just renamed the spell for. Mm -hmm. So the classic example was fireball turning into wireball, wireball. because someone yes. changed the, the F with the W. And wireball would be a fantastic idea of a spell. Like you take fireball, third level spell, and you change fire to slashing damage and suddenly it's exactly the same spell but instead of a huge explosion you conjure blades and barbed wire that spawns and, and scatters around a room and, and again same deck save that's all fine but then it does slashing damage rather than fire damage that's easy to do mm -hmm. you can you can change the spell and you can make it the only thing you've got to keep in mind is if you change a spell like that and you learn that spell you can't then change between slashing and fire damage at whim yeah. it's two different spells and the whole point of dnd is that you can only know or only prepare a certain amount of spells at any one time so that's a new spell for you 
that's instantly what came to my mind when I was looking at this. It's like you could just you know, forgo the step of uh, the ring of misspelling, which is a, it's a great thread. I highly recommend if you've not read it to have a look for it. But like Wireball, I was thinking like Wirewall was the other one I thought of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And any basically anything of wire. I couldn't think of anything. Um, Briarwall was just, just lots of briars or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, it's even if it's something like that, I think it's, it instantly makes it more, it just opens the world of possibilities. So yeah, I, I really like that. Uh, it's a, the ring of misspelling is such a cool concept in general. Yeah, exactly. But changing an element type is something that's really, really easy to do. If you want to make your fireball do cold damage, for instance, uh, like a cryo ball or something like that, frost ball, that's easy enough to do. You talk to your DM, you make the new spell, and that's what you learn as a player instead of um, anything else. What I would say is it's worth keeping in mind tashes when you think about damage types, because damage types, generally speaking, are broadly categorized into three different chunks. You've got piercing, slashing, and bludgeoning, which is sort of kept as the sort of regular damage types. You have what I like to call the regular elemental damage types, such as fire, cold, thunder, acid, poison, all of those types. And then you've got the three weird ones, the advanced types, which are radiant, necrotic, and psychic, psychic damage. Yeah. Those three tend to be of a sort of group of their own. If you're going to switch into something that does those, I don't think there's anything wrong in it, but check with your DM to see if they're happy with that. Because if you're, for instance, running a Curse of Strahd campaign and radiant damage is a really big deal, maybe you don't want the player to be able to do fireballs that do radiant damage instead, because that mm. might be something that's a little bit you know, reserved for spells that aren't necessarily quite as effective, or maybe it's something in the cleric's domain. So a cleric, for instance, may be limited to switching their necrotic, radiant, and psychic spells between those types, but maybe they can't go into cryo damage because that's a wizard's territory, and a wizard, vice versa, can't start casting radiant damage. So those three brackets are normally reserved to that sort of thing. What I would say is that piercing, slashing, and bludgeoning damage, generally speaking, could be substituted with anything, and it wouldn't really be too bad an issue. Completely fair. And the other thing it does say right at the beginning of the section, if you're worried about sort of a lesser effect, whether or not it's combat related or not, having a longer duration, so obviously we talked about healing spells, but also a larger area of effect can make up for that. So whether yeah. it's it's just like you said, if you're targeting multiple targets, but it's going to be not as much damage, you know, increase the area of effect perhaps instead or yeah, the yeah. duration it goes on for. Exactly. And that is, is another way of tweaking an existing spell. What I would say is spells have various things that make them effective or not. Damage is obviously one of them. You could take a spell like Fireball and make a new version of it by using the spell damage table to make just a more advanced Fireball spell. If you wanted to, that would be easy enough to do. Mm -hmm. But... As you say, other elements or other sort of elements of the spell, the range of it, the radius of it, the duration of it, by tweaking one of those things and stepping it up in one direction, that broadly and roughly equates to one extra level of use. So if you took a fireball, for instance, and then doubled the radius of it, I would say you probably could cast that as a fourth level spell. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, that's going to be fairly good. Mm -hmm. um, I would be reluctant to limit spells in the same way because it doesn't really scale up. I, it's always easier to level a spell up 
and make it cast a higher spell level than it is to level it down. For mm -hmm. instance, I'd be less tempted to let a player cast Fireball at second level on the premise that the radius of the spell was halved because it's still an incredibly effective spell mm -hmm. and it's a lot of damage to be casting at a lower level. So mm -hmm. keep that in mind as well. Yeah, especially with Fireballs, they still take damage on a failed dex save as well. So they're always going to take that same amount of damage. So yeah, or, yeah absolutely. The saving throws as well is something that can be chopped and changed quite a lot maybe your fireball spell you want it to have a strength save instead because the wire ball is more of about just sort of holding the wires back than it is dodging them or maybe your poison ball is actually a con save because you you can't mm -hmm. avoid the gas it's more just sort of avoiding the worst effects of it that saving throws can be changed around i know there's a lot of talk on the wider D&D verse about how some saving fairies are better than others. Oh, well, Wiz and Khan are really difficult, but people tend not to have good charisma and blah, blah, blah. Ignore that. That's rubbish. As long as it thematically makes sense, I'm sure the DM has got monsters that you don't know the saving fairies for that you will not be able to predict. So don't worry about that. Because I guess because people maybe dismiss like the more charismatic or the more sort of role-playing ones over like, you know, strength, dex, constitution. So yeah, it, it totally doesn't matter because at the end of the day, like as long as it fits with the theme, that's totally fine. And your players will like it for it because they're like, oh, that actually sounds really, really cool. What we're going to do now is we're going to make our own damaging spell and we'll, we'll kind of just, we'll, uh -oh. we'll flavor it. Can you think of some, like a cool effect from an anime, a show, a superhero film, a, a superpower you would like that you'd like to make a spell for? I've got an idea if you don't have one, but I'm Yeah, let's, let's go with you. My, my brain is not with it today. So yeah, you, what's your suggestion? Go for it. So in D&D, there is a couple of spells like Thunder Wave, where you sort of blast people back with a bit of energy. And there's also Call Lightning. Mm. The idea I had for a spell was more of a, this is incredibly niche unless you get the reference, but, you know, Pikachu in Super Smash Brothers can use the <laughs> thunder where they get hit by a bolt of lightning and it explodes out from them. They sort of conduit the lightning. Mm -hmm. So a sort of self-guided lightning strike I'm going to call it lightning burst or something. Oh, cool. And the idea is that you are stood and you get hit by lightning and it's always targeted on you, but then in a radius around you, you deal lightning and thunder damage and then it pushes people back. Oh, cool. I like that. So wait, so you as the player get hit by lightning and then other people around you get pushed back? Yes. So it's right. targeted on you. It's like a thunder wave, but a bit more extreme. Cool. I like it. So what we're going to do is we're going to say that this is, this is like the cool sort of mid to late game spell. This is a big like, get off me, bam, and everybody restrict. I want people to cast it maybe once a day, even at higher levels, but I don't necessarily want it to be the highest level because I want I want people to be able to use it. So I'm going to make it a sixth level spell, okay? So if I look at the spell damage table, it says the multiple targets, because it's not going to be a one target thing. This is a multiple targets. Anyone stood around me is going to get hit by this. Mm. The sixth level, this is going to be 11d6 damage, mm. which is a nice amount of damage Pretty for heavy. me. Um, yeah. I'm also going to say that this is, it's going to be a combination of lightning and thunder damage. Mm -hmm. And I would like it to be quite a narrow range. It's only going to be sort of 15 feet radius around me. Mm -hmm. I'd like it to be uh, a regular saving throw. So people make a con save perhaps to sort of, you know, avoid it. But I'm also going to throw a little bit of extra flavor in. I'm going to say if you fail the check, you get pushed 10 feet away and you get made prone. 
to make up for that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lower the damage of the spell just a little bit by one level in order to compensate for that added effect. So I'm going to make it 8d6 damage, not 11d6 damage. So it's a six-level spell mm. centered on me, 15 radius, 8d6 damage, gets pushed back and fall prone. Mm -hmm. I think that works really well. It, it could be used as a, as a druid spell, as a wizard spell, a cleric spell. And if I have a look at other six-level spells, it's not a huge amount away from the sort of damage that it does. 8d6 is only what a fireball does. But you could put this on a cleric, for instance, and you can you could see it being a lot more like, okay, that makes more sense. So for a wizard, it might be a little bit underpowered. I said like a flavor, like pushing people back, like who are close to you. So yeah, helping those people who, if they're being surrounded and stopping all those attacks and stuff and the, the ability to have them prone, Absolutely. That sounds amazing. And yeah, that totally makes sense. Like that having that extra like flavor stuff, but then reducing the damage so that it compensates for that. Oh, really straightforward. I really like that. There you go. If you're making a healing spell, as I say, I would advise tweaking the healing spells in the book because the time constraints are sort of trickier. And if you're doing a spell that doesn't do damage and purely does some sort of effect, like a manipulation-esque effect, again, be very careful with that. I would have a look at the spells in the book already, such as Suggestion and the Charm spells and the Dominate spells, and I would tweak those a little bit rather than making new ones, because anything that involves manipulation of characters or status effects can be quite tricky to manage. Mm. So base it on a spell that's already in the book. All right, well, we've sort of done the spells and stuff. I think we've, we've covered a lot of ground there. That's really, really interesting. Thank you so much, Ryan. What if, though... What if magic items were my choice of uh, forte? Like, what, what can we do about those then? So magic items, they seem really complicated, but really they're not. They're just things that let you perform spell-like effects. And it's all about having a look at the power level of the items, magic items, and being able to tweak them a little bit to get something that has the effect that you want. Again, I would start at it from the approach of why do you want a new magical item? What purpose is this serving? Is it a particular effect that the game hasn't got? Is it a particular blend of effects that the game does have, but not in this combination? Or are you just changing something that's a little bit different? Mm -hmm. Because modifying an item, again, it's the easiest way of approaching this. And the book gives some very easy examples of things that can be changed in an item. So one of the things that I often hear when you're looking through magic items is that maybe you go for a huge story and you unlock the Holy Avenger, which is an amazingly powerful paladin sword, a long sword, for instance, is, it, is it a good example. And you unlock it and the party look around and the barbarian with the axe stands there next to the wizard who uses a staff and the druid who uses a sickle. And they all look at it and think, oh, um, no one uh. can actually use this thing. Yeah, we know, nobody uses swords. Nobody wants them. Well, quite simply, modifying an item in that way is really, really easy. You can turn one weapon into another weapon really easy. Make your Holy Avenger into a flail as the example, but you could also make it into a hammer, a mm -hmm. spear, anything of a sort of equivalent weapon. That's really not going to change the game. There's no problem with doing that. Yeah. Again, damage types really really easy to change now this gives the example of taking a flame tongue sword which is a sword that bursts into fire and does fire damage extra hit on every hit in in addition to the extra regular weapon damage you could easily turn that into lightning damage or cryo damage 
or poison damage or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, magical weapons like that are, are very easily changed. And then the other example is if it's not necessarily a weapon, you can if it's just something like a, a ring that you can change into a wand and vice versa. Again, all of this is just flavor. I guess with the DM, when you're coming to rolling these things, how would you do it for the party to make it actually personalized for the party? Because that's what it says uh, right at the beginning. It's like one reason why you might be wanting to do these uh, magic items is to surprise experienced adventurers. Because we've always, I've always said this before, is that when you're playing D&D, people recognize what certain things are just because they've either seen it on a stream or they've read about it. And stuff. So actually changing it. So if you had like the Ring of the Ram and change it into a wand, and if you just describe it as a one that does these things, they might not necessarily make that connection straight away. And that's, I really like that as a, as a result. And yeah, making it sort of more suited to your players and your party rather than just a generic, like, here is a ring, etc. So yeah, really. Exactly. Good. All that stuff can be changed really, really easy. Potions are another really good example of things that you can create that are very, very easy to do because potions, A, are one use. So mm. if you do muck it up, then it's fine. They'll use it once, you will laugh it off, and then they never have to talk about it ever again. <laughs> but all potions do effectively is give you spell-like effects. So all you've got to do is find the level of the spell and then mm. switch it with something that is is an equivalent spell level. So this book gives you the example of a potion of climbing. Well, no spoilers for you, that is effectively the spider climb spell, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a second level spell and easily gives you a potion of stealth. Well, again, that could be invisibility, again, a second level spell or pass without trace, again, mm. a second level spell. So that sort of switch is very easy to do. From that point of view as well, you could easily change the effects of another sort of potion based on the sort of rough spell level. So a potion of flight, for instance, is the first thing that I can think of. Flight or fly is a third level spell. So all you would have to do is have a look at the wizard spell list. So if I go and have a look through the book now, you can see that there's fly. That's a third level spell. Mm-hmm. Let's have a look at this. And oh, there we go. Haste. Haste is also on the spell list. So mm. let's make it a potion of haste instead. Hmm. What I quite like about this is that in reference, uh, we talked about this before when we did our treasure episode. It talks about like another way to make it a bit more flavorsome is to give it a quirk of some sort or a sentience that can change it completely as well. So yeah, having a magic item that has a quirk in some sense, you know, again, something that maybe the players don't know until they've attuned to it or, or started talking to it then it gives them more of a reason to pick it up and carry on rather than go, oh yeah, we can't use this. And anything yeah. with sentience or a quirk of some sort, people are instantly like, oh, I want to try this out for a little bit. I guess it's like, oh, well, this is interesting until they discover it's maybe a negative quirk, um, but they don't know that until it happens. So that's all yeah. good. Exactly. Yeah, the last thing it says with modifying items is the combination or the combining of two items, which is something you can do Mm. as well. Keep an eye on this one because normally it would increase the rarity of an item. So if you've got, uh, this gives you the helm of comprehending languages and the helm of telepathy and puts it into a single helmet. It also says it probably increases the rarity of it. That's something that's worth keeping in mind. If you're going to combine items, then I would as a default make it one rarity higher and keep that in mind when you're putting it into the game because Mm -hmm. rare magic items are less likely to pop up into later levels they're probably more expensive and if you were creating or making this item yourself maybe you've got an artifice or a wizard in the party that is messing with this sort of stuff then there's going to probably be a gold cost involved with the Mm -hmm. step up between an uncommon item, say, and a rare item, which there is a pretty significant step up in cost when it comes to that sort of thing. Hmm. But say, Ryan, say, I was like, no, I don't like the easy path. Sod that. I want to create my own brand new 
interesting magic item. I want to I want to create something from scratch. How would I go about doing that? So the first thing you've got to do again is work out why. Why do you want to do this? What are you trying to bring into the game that isn't in the game before? Because normally modifying an existing item, it can normally fulfill that itch in your DM or your player or whoever's sort of come up with that brainwave. Normally just by changing what's already in the game, you can do it. But let's say you can't. Well, first thing you've got to think about is attunement. Attunement is an interesting concept because it's the game's balancing factor. Attunement does two things. It stops any player from having too many magical items at once. You can only attune to three things at once. So it stops you from coming up with too many game-breaking combinations and stockpiling too much ability on one person. The other thing it does is it stops you from passing magical items between the party at will. By limiting it to a short rest, you can stop somebody from taking that, you know, whatever item it might be that gives you an instant benefit that is always on and just being able to pass it between you. Mm -hmm. So have a think, is your magic item something that conveys an ability that would be too powerful if transferred or maybe it's too disruptive the game sort of suggests as well maybe it's too much of a faff mm. then consider making it attunement mm. i would say if you're making an uncommon or more rare item attunement should probably be the default unless you can think of a good reason why not absolutely again makes complete sense because otherwise you, as your bonus action handing over the ring to your next party member who you know is up next in the combat order again hadn't really considered it but like if you require attunement, you can't just suddenly have tons of rings on your fingers that all give you a, a shield spell or a shield defense, and you suddenly your AC is up to like 35 or something like that. So, yeah, yeah really exactly. That, that, that's a really good example, actually. For instance, a wand into the game that improves the damage of Eldritch Blast by two points per hit. And you've got two warlocks in the parties, or maybe a bard stood next to it that can also cast Eldritch Blast, and both people stand next to each other, and in combat, they're just passing the wand backwards mm -hmm. and forwards that's not really going to have the effect you were looking for. Achievement would probably be very good for an item like that. The other thing you need to do is think about the power level of the mm -hmm. item. Now, magic items convey, I would say, three vague aspects of ability. You've got a bonus to either AC or to hit. Mm -hmm. So it goes from plus one to plus three. Normally, this actually gives a plus four as an option. I don't remember actually seeing an item that gives plus four. I'd be tempted to say that's probably a little high unless it's a, a legendary item on that one. But yeah. bonuses to attack or AC, even um, saving throws or ability checks. Spells or the ability to cast spells is your second bracket. So, you know, if it, holding a staff means you can cast fireball three times a day, that puts it into that category. Mm -hmm. The third category, I would say, is something that gives a spell-like effect that replicates a spell. So, for instance, a ring of flying would be something that would very much fall into that later category. Mm -hmm. It gives you a lovely little table that gives you this sort of common, uncommon, rare, very rare, and legendary, and gives you a max spell level and a max bonus that can be provided to an item of that level. So if you're looking to put a rare item into the game, for instance, you can't give it a spell level of more than six, uh, which is still pretty high, mm -hmm. or a max bonus of more than plus two. Any higher than that, and you're going to push it into the very rare category. If you want to give something that has charges, 
that's interesting. What I would suggest is that you take another item with charges. So if you've got a staff, maybe take the staff of the Magi or staff of healing would be a good example and then sort of tweak the number of charges from that. If you want to do something that does it a certain amount of times per day, I would say that's probably the easier way of doing it. Find an item like a wand, for instance, mm -hmm. that can do it a certain amount of times per day and blend off that. But you can then sort of put it together like that. So if I've got a rare wand, for instance, I can give it a few spells that it casts. Let's say I wanted to cast three different spells, make sure that only one of them is sixth level and that's the highest one. And then I'll give it charges based on another wand of rare standard. So I'd look through the Dungeon Master's Guide, I'd find another wand of rare and say, okay, this one has, say, seven charges. I'm going to give it seven charges as well. I hadn't really thought about the charges element aspect of it i was thinking of more continuous on off effects because that makes it a lot easier so mm. having to think about that because when you're running a game certainly for players a session is not necessarily a game day it could be literally like the 15 minutes the players are get to chat or, or have the combat that happens because again we talked about this before but combat actually in our world obviously it's it takes two hours to do or whatever but actually the, the combat itself is like two minutes of mm -hmm. rush and stuff like that so if you have something like oh it has charged that it's reset at the dawn of the beginning of the next day to keep track of that obviously i know that's the player's prerogative but actually balancing that as a as a dm when it realistically could be a lot easier like you said to do like once per day or always on or always off uh yeah there's a little bit more complex involved in that so should we quickly make a magic item just to show how easy it is? Yes. I'm going to definitely put this on you a little bit now. Right. So what's what's a rough theme of an item that you would like? Like, do you have any sort of cool concept or superpower you would like to recreate? Cool concept or superpower? Well, this uh, this is the thing, because I thought of one, but I don't. I feel this is going to take way longer than we actually have. Well, but go for it, because we might be able to make a simple version of it. Okay. All right, superpower. I'm thinking of uh, regeneration healing. So you think when Wolverine gets hurt, he has the ability to speed up. But if you had that as an item at the end of each turn, not maybe not as an ongoing effect, but something that you can have once per day for the next however many rounds, you heal up 1d10 or something like that. Not lots of healing, but a little bit. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's that is exactly the sort of thing that you could recreate. So <clears throat> what I would say is, first of all, do you want it to be as an item of clothing, a ring, a wand? What would you like it to be? Uh, I would like it to be um, we'll say it's a we'll say it's a necklace of some sort. A necklace. OK, I'm going to suggest that achievement is going to be needed on that because you don't want people <laughs> exactly passing that regenerative ability around. That might be a little bit broken. The easiest way that you could go about that is having a look to see if there's a spell of a similar um, ability. And there is a spell called regeneration oh, or regenerate. I never it knew is that. <laughs> a seventh level spell. Okay. Um, it's pretty powerful, actually. You, you, you take a minute to cast or so, but then it does a bunch of healing and then you heal after that point. It can regenerate limbs. It can grow things back. It's, it's a very powerful spell. <sighs> so what I would say immediately is if you wanted to go down that route, it's a seventh level spell yep. so i would say you've just made yourself a very rare item yeah it's going to be very rare it's going to have attunement it's going to be able to cast regeneration mm -hmm. now let's say you wanted to do an effect that was a little bit more 
um, subtle than that. The other thing I could think of, mm. and this is way down the other side of the book, is Goodberry, which mm. is a druid spell of first level. Now, Goodberry, it conjures, I think, I want to say 10 of those berries. Yes. Uh, well. And they each heal one health each, yes. mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, so it requires up to 10 berries and each require one hit point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes an action to use each one. So what I would suggest is you could make a magic item that gives you the ability to restore one HP per turn, mm. which is roughly what a good berry would give you. Yes. Now, that would suggest that it was a common rarity, but because you don't need to use your action to use it, I would mm. suggest that you could probably make that into an uncommon, uncommon. item. Agreed. And then I would give it uh, charges. So you could have a look through wands that were uncommon. So if we go through the book, I believe an uncommon wand is a wand of magic missiles. I may be wrong, Hmm. but if we have a quick check of this one, I like to use wands as as a good sort of starting place because they tend to have very limited scope of of, of abilities and you can, you can flavor them quite well. I find all the staffs, but when I want to find the wands, they disappear. Here we go. Wand of magic missiles. Uncommon. It has seven charges. So I'm going to suggest your wand. It has seven charges. It gains 1d6 plus one daily, and you can use it to cast a spell that gives you one health per turn for 10 turns. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's definitely much easier and less groundbreaking than I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, this is going to ruin everything. That's all you've got to do. That's all you've got to do. It's it's not a difficult thing. Keep your ideas as limited in scope as you can. If you're going to go more complicated, it's going to be a rare or very rare item or maybe even legendary. And just keep an eye on legendary because artifacts have all kinds of separate rules, make them a little bit more complicated. Just because I was thinking what we'd said before about the healing stuff, because I was like, oh, do we have to make a spell and then put it into a magic item but if it's already regenerate and goodberry i clearly have not i i'm not a spellcaster clearly so i am a muscle wizard so it's all fine muscle wizard you cast punch it's uh you don't use it you, you cast it cast it make a saving throw you get punched what's the big sort of big bit of advice would you say when you're creating your own spells or magic items and putting it into your campaign what's the one thing you should, we should always keep in mind would you say start small and build from there tweak something that already exists into the game and use that before you start creating something small because if you can tweak something to provide the effect you're after a lot of DD is just visual and descriptive you can make something feel very different even if mechanically it doesn't do any different in the game so with that idea if you were like i want to get hit by lightning and the lightning shrieks out and hits people mm. you could easily make that just a call lightning spell that's centered on you for instance like it's not something that needs to necessarily have its own spell but if you do want to do it Mm -hmm. then tweak something that already exists if you do want to make something that exists into the game don't be afraid to test it and tweak it afterwards Mm -hmm. if it doesn't go well start basic build up you can always make something more powerful making it less powerful is always a little more awkward because your player may be really into it and you may be like oh yeah but i'm going to shave 30 percent of the damage off it is that okay and they think oh well i quite liked it the way it was so Mm -hmm. Just be careful about, you don't want to go the other direction. It's always better to give things a little bit more power. Yeah, I, actually, I think that's a very good point because obviously a lot of times we're frightened to play test these things. And I think being upfront with your players about it, saying, hey, I'm going to introduce some new things to this and have that conversation with them saying, we might tweak it along down the line. Just let me know what you think. Having their input on the collaboration of it will be quite cool as well. And I'd like to hope that some players would be 
be like, oh, I really enjoy it, but you know, they'd be re- realizing like, oh, if I'm blasting away several people at this time, even if it's got minimal charges and stuff like that, yeah, maybe we need to balance it more. Because I think they'd appreciate that as a player, it's because it's not necessarily relying on one spell all the time or stuff. Like that. I mean, I say that I rely on like two things all the time for my character. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think for this, if as long as you're open with your players about like, I'm going to try these new things. Please help me test them out. You helping me will make you a better game experience. It's like having yeah. the the alpha or the the better version of any video games, and people want you to succeed. So I think just saying that straight front at the top of the session or when you're introducing it, like it's okay to be oh god, I was like, it's okay to be vulnerable. That's not what I meant. I mean, it's okay to be honest <laughs> about these things. Like hey. It's a new yeah. thing, trying it out. So. Absolutely. Brilliant. Oh, wow. I, I, feel, I do feel like a little bit more, not competent. I, I, I don't know why I was going to say that. I do feel a bit more informed about this. And I think something like this is actually really useful. If you're thinking of creating your own monsters and stuff, the next step would be these things, or maybe even doing these steps before creating your own monsters, perhaps. So yeah. oh, brilliant. Thank you so much for introducing this to me, Ryan. Tell us, where can we find you? What are you up to? How's Civ 6 doing? question <laughs> <laughs> it's very good you can always find me playing it on youtube i'm ursa ryan and if you fancy chatting more about DD stuff come to discord i have the ursa ryan discord you can come and say hello and talk about anything we've mentioned on the podcast but also just about DD in general there's a lot of people who like it so come and say hello and of course as always my name is fiona i run the what am i rolling podcast a twice monthly rpg one-shot podcast and as always, it is doing very, very well. Always I'm, very well. I'm good, as always. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorting out my editing problems. Uh, like I said, I feel my preferred podcasting uh, thing is Zoom over anything else. And so when someone says, oh, can we use something else? I go inwardly cry <laughs> <laughs> and go, of course we can. And then it, it hate myself later. So, hey, if you want a game that you want me to run or something like that, that's great. It's just going to be run on Zoom. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Brilliant. Well, thank you, everyone, for for joining us for this, and we hope to be here. We will be here next time, obviously, but we hope you'll be here with us next time. Great. (laughs) Don't be elsewhere. Don't be elsewhere. (laughs) Be here. (laughs) Bye. Bye.